You're listening to Technically 200, a podcast about some amazing Black and Latino women in STEM. This new season, in honor of Black History Month, we're celebrating the stories of Black women in STEM. Stay tuned each week for interviews and roundtable conversations because we'll be talking to women in tech, entrepreneurship, finance, and much, much more. Another episode of Technically 200. I am here with the the lovely and vivacious Janice Omadeki. Uh, Janice is the CEO and founder of The Mentor Method, an enterprise platform helping companies keep and develop their diverse talent using the proven power of mentorship. Using a double-blind algorithm, The Mentor Method is closing the opportunity equity gap in the workplace. Janice is a 2020 Austin Under 40 nominee and winner of Divings Champion of Change Diversity Champion of the Year for the city of Austin. Venture-backed by funds including Backstage Capital and Capital Factory, Janice's company was a finalist at the Grace Hopper Annual Conference in 2018, is a Mass Challenge Texas Gold winner, a 50-on-fire winner for both Austin and DC Inno, and a 2017 Startup Grind Global Exhibition Selection. Black Enterprise recognizes Janice as one of DC's top five Black women in tech. She's also been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, and she was a subject matter expert at the 2016 White House Summit on building the tech workforce of tomorrow. Janice is certified in entrepreneurship from MIT, is PMP certified with over 10 years of corporate leadership experience for Fortune 500 companies. Wow. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get into our conversation today. Same here, same here. So I have, I, I can't remember the first time I heard the name Janice Omadeki. Um, I can't remember the first time I heard the mentor method. Um, I don't think that they were together, but I, I do remember reading about the mentor method and it was one of those duh moments like it just made so much sense and I was excited to learn more so can how would you describe your company the mentor method the easiest way to describe it is to think of online dating but for matching underrepresented professionals to mentors inside of their place of employment you've clearly delivered that many times before (laughs) (laughs) a couple of times you know here and there I've been known to to get into that. No, I think that's just the easiest way to describe it. If we were to double click on that, the mentor method helps companies build inclusive mentorship programs in under an hour. We have a patent pending algorithm that matches based on chemistry first, because chemistry is one of the most important qualifications for any relationship, platonic, romantic, professional or otherwise. And so seeing a gap in the way in which people were fostering these mentor relationships, especially out of my own experience with corporate mentorship programs, where I was matched to the only other Black woman, Black person, person of color, woman, whatever other demographic that could be used was the only guiding principle in the way in which these corporations were matching me. I knew that there were millions of professionals that would be experiencing the same thing. And I wanted to play a role in this fight for workplace equity for all. It's, it's fascinating because mentorship 
as important as it is, I feel like it's this, there's, there's just so much mystery around it. Like people don't talk about mentorship as this, maybe more so now than before, but I, when I, when I thought of mentorship before, it was almost like you were just assigned a mentor or you just happened to have a mentor. Like it was right. <laughs> this, this thing that goes beyond explanation. It's like, why, why, why do you think that was? I think the systems in place, right? People I'm sure were doing the best that they could with limited resources that they have. But when you're looking at the HR professional that's responsible for implementing this program, they may not have a product background the way I do. They may not have a business development background or they may not have the resources and the tools behind them to be able to create the mentorship program of their dreams. So they're doing their best with what's available, but oftentimes that's just a spreadsheet matching based on external parameters competing against pressing tasks of their standard nine to five position. You know, and so you talked, I, I actually watched your, your TED talk, which was fantastic. I loved it. And I, now I can't unsee it, but I, I want to steal some of your, your, uh, your devices, but um, you, I mean, you had that audience and I, I think there are probably of the maybe hundred TED talks that I've heard, that was probably one of the the most reactionary or emotive ones uh, in terms of the the audience's response that that I've heard. So well done. Thank you. Absolutely. And you know, you talked about the fact that your colleagues, when you were working in corporate America, um, and it sounds like the the pale male counterparts, they were they were supporting each other by providing sort of like the insider tips on how to advance their respective careers and who to talk to and who to get sponsorship from. But when it came to, to you, you, you felt like a bit of an outsider and, and you weren't um, given the same, the, the same guidance. In fact, you even said a partner had, had told you that you, you needed to get high heels, I think. Higher heels, yes. Okay, <laughs> that's not as bad. Higher heels, right? No three and a half inch heels here. No, much <laughs> higher than that and a designer handbag. And what's interesting about that is I was still an entry-level graphic designer at that point. And I got a bonus of, I think, $1,400. And that's a lot of money um, in any case, but significantly so when you're making much less. And so- I was really excited about that. I always saw the value of education and upskilling so that I could get promoted faster. And so when I went into the partner's office and just said, hey, thank you so much. This is really exciting. Um, they asked what I was going to use it for, um, what I was going to use the bonus towards. And I told them, I'm going to get a new Mac laptop because I desperately needed it so that I can participate in additional web development classes that I wanted to take nights and weekends. And so when you know that that's the conversation we had and I was still told to get a designer handbag and higher heels, it's kind of, it's still mind boggling to me, but I hope they're doing well. 
yeah, well, you know, all you can do is hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know all you can do is hope and then build a company to correct the wrongs that you experienced in your own career and then call it the mentor method. And, the, and, and, and that's what you did, which is fantastic. And can you talk to me a little bit about where you, you, you talked about how your, your parents really inspired you and, and this was something, mentorship was something that you just grew up around. Can you talk a little bit about that? And in particular, I'd love to hear, you, you said your, um, your heritage is, is Congolese? Correct. Can you can you talk about how that um, that came into play? Uh, just Congolese and and African parents. What influence that has had on your success? Sure. Well, there's a high level of accountability. Putting it lightly, um, in terms of I knew that was a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> African parents don't play. <laughs> And I appreciate that, you know, because that accountability, you need that in building a business, right? There's a certain level of ownership and just self-regulation that's required. And that's something that can't be taught. Um, I would also say a giving mindset. As you referenced in my TEDx, I talk about how my parents were, you know, spending time and resources to help my aunt with her nursing certifications that she could bring her entire family to the States. That took years. But ever since I was about two years old, even when my parents didn't have an extra bedroom, at this point, there were six of us in a two-bedroom apartment in Northern Virginia. They were still hosting people. My cousin came and stayed with us to go to medical school in D.C., and she lived with us for several years. We, when we eventually had, you know, a five bedroom home with the yard in the future, um, around the time when I was about four or five, our guest bedroom was always full. I mean, we really served as the Ellis Island for our family and community. So those that came to America for education or immigrated and wanted to get adjusted to American life while still maintaining an identity from Africa predominantly. Um, my parents were great mentors and a great support system for everybody. And seeing the empathy, the compassion they had, being able to put themselves, even when it's been over 30 years, the ability to put themselves back in the shoes that they were in when they immigrated here in the 70s to say, oh, okay, this doesn't make sense because unless you understand these three other things that nobody ever tells you about and assumes that you know, then the remaining steps will be very unclear and you'll fall behind. But taking that time of self-reflection and empathy and understanding to then compassionately explain those three hidden steps that nobody is explaining. Um, again, like if you haven't seen it, it's kind of amazing, but that's just what I grew up around. So for me, that mindset of trying to understand other people, understand how people work, give back, help people any way that I can by leveraging my own past experiences, it's just a part of my natural being at this point. And I'm, I'm also hearing there with, with that empathy and 
and trying to understand people that there there's a level of intellectual curiosity as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. My parents, uh, my mom was an avid reader. My dad is a very avid reader. If you just put a book somewhere near him, he will probably read it. (laughs) Um, And same, you know, I think it's a curiosity to learn more in general, but then also wanting to learn about people. A lot of conflict can be resolved when you come in seeking to understand, which is another thing. I'm so glad you asked this follow-up question because that's actually a big one especially as a business owner and a black woman in business, being able to negotiate is a superpower. And that requires a high level of emotional intelligence and being able to understand the psychology behind other parties involved so that you can get to something where everybody wins. People don't talk about that often enough. And, and how that relates to negotiating. I, I, and we I, should. Should we talk about that now? <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's I love do it. Let's talk, so, so talk to me more about your philosophy on negotiation. But I, I'd love for you to do so by, um, by breaking down the negotiation that you're most proud of. Oh. Huh. That is such a good question. Why did I open up this can of worms? Um, The negotiation I'm most proud of, honestly, I'm proud of any negotiation that's taken place where the opposite party, I get a sense of being discredited and through telling the story of the mentor method, the vision where the business is going, we end up either closing an investment or a partnership or some kind of deal. I mean, there are so many opportunities where that can't happen. And there are several founders out there who would love those opportunities and aren't receiving them just given the you know systemic inequalities in entrepreneurship as it stands. So I'm proud of every deal that we've closed, every partnership that we've established, every new team member we've onboarded. I mean, so many things are negotiations without people realizing their negotiations. So it's hard for me to pick just one. Um, Top of my head right now, I went through a really good one yesterday with a new partner for a contract that that we're under. And just negotiating the pricing, coming from a place of seeking to understand how the other parties involved have structured their contracts went a very long way to help us be able to structure our deal in a way that's mutually beneficial. So how do you, how do you get there when you see, because I think when you say seeking to understand, I think a lot of people may it may conjure images of, well, tell me what you want. Oh, well, I mean, that's part of it, right? So for example, in this conversation, I asked the individual, you know, I went in saying, okay, we have concerns about these clauses in the contract. I want to get into those, but I also need to know what's most important to you in this entire contract so that we know what we can work with. So what items are most pressing for you? Through that, we were able to identify that intellectual property licensing and one other component were the most 
important pieces of that. We then dug into the why behind it, which then revealed that there was a larger opportunity for licensing that we could also get involved in. So when I say seeking to understand, it's not necessarily like a kumbaya, let me give you what you want type of a thing. It's just oftentimes in business, unless you're asking specific questions and digging deeper, you won't have as much information as you need to make the best decisions for your business while maintaining a positive relationship with that stakeholder if that's what's required. I, I love that you ended that with um, without maintaining the relationship because that's one of the, I think one of the things that I've learned both academically, but also practically when it comes to um, when it comes to negotiations is that at the end of the day, <laughs> you'll still have a relationship with this person. I mean, generally speaking, I mean, I, I understand that some, some negotiations are just uh, discrete transactions with a teller or a clerk that you'll never see again. I mean, some are not because it's, it's the same HEB that you go to every, every, every week. And so you'll see that person again, but understanding that this this one negotiation absolutely has a ramification on this long-term relationship that you have and so long as you are taking that into account um or if you're not taking that into account that is where things can can turn yes i think sometimes people watch a lot of these hyper dramas as they're called right so think about scandal back in the day where parties are going in, guns blazing, manipulation, catch 22s, all of these things. And that's not necessarily scalable to real life, right? So going in with an adversarial mindset versus saying, okay, let me figure out what's going on with this person and why this contract is completely absurd. And how do we make sure that the things that the mentor method and myself as a founder care about are reflected in the end outcome of this conversation. It's really about, especially if this person is going to be a team member, or if you're doing a joint venture, this is a teammate. This person, whether you work with them now or in the future, can have an impact on your business. So it's best to go with a team mindset versus something more adversarial when, quite frankly, both parties do need something from each other. Man, you so you're uh, so you are phenomenal, and so thank you. No, you're hey. I'm sure it's not the first time you heard it today. Question for you is, what would you say is your superpower? It changes depending on the day and what's going on with the business. But for today, I would say my superpowers are vulnerability authenticity, communication, and strategy. I would not, I would not have expected that you would have said vulnerability, let alone live with that. So can you go into, go into, <laughs> go into what that. is wrong with putting vulnerability in there? Why didn't you think that? I, what kind of bias are you bringing into this conversation? No, no. So that's not what I said. I didn't say anything was wrong with it. I said, I would have, not, I would not have expected you two have included that nor led with that. So can you please? Oh, yeah. More. 
absolutely. And I'm just giving you a hard time, but um, no, I think things in the business shifted in a positive direction when I just became a human being first. When there's that fear of being rejected or not being accepted or, you know, quote unquote, imposter syndrome, all of those other factors come into play. It's really hard to think strategically and really bring your best to those scenarios. The minute I stopped caring about those and really focused on building the best product possible, which we've done, getting the right team around us, which we've done, making sure that we're actually playing a strong part in this fight for workplace equity, which is the guiding principle for the mentor method, which we've done, things started falling into place. And that started when I began working on increasing my level of self-acceptance, recognizing that there will be people who have an idea of what a Black woman founder should be, what a woman founder should be, what a Black founder should be, just any sort of segmentation. People will always have an expectation of who you're supposed to be. And the more time I was spending trying to live up to those versus actually being in alignment with myself, the business, how I was interacting, it all shows it whether or not you want to. So working on that level of self-acceptance to not play those games requires a level of vulnerability with yourself and also a level of vulnerability to just bring yourself to these opportunities and these conversations. If we were having this podcast interview, say, three years ago, I would not be giving you a hard time. I would have just stayed muted, paused, waited for my time to read my bullet points, muted again, and that would be it. That comes across very cold and robotic. But because I have this level of self-acceptance and vulnerability, um, we're having more of a more of an interesting conversation, I would say. I also think that having that level of vulnerability, even going back to that negotiation, being able to say in that conversation with this individual, we're excited about this contract. This is making big headway for other areas in the business. And we want to make sure that this isn't terminated, but we also have to do right by the business. There is a level of authenticity and realness that came in that moment that I don't think others necessarily bring to those sort of interactions, but it made a significant difference. And we were able to get the results that all parties were seeking. So it worked well for us. That's why I'm saying vulnerability is my superpower. I love it. Well said. And I, I, I mean, not that you need me to, but I accept that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I know it's rare. I think, you know, also early on when I was building the mentor method, it was still in that era of, you know, this founder in a dark room with a hoodie, um, you know, these hyper geniuses getting funding for a PDF and not much else, right? Or a sketch on a napkin and not much else. And there was this sort of notion around what a founder should be and what a leader should be, I believe. Um, so for example, I'm now blanking on her name, but you know, women who 
would take one day of maternity leave and then go back to work and, you know, that's their choice, but they were also applauded for making that choice and others who did not make the same choice were ridiculed for not following the example of one individual, let's say. There was a lot of that taking place when I was starting the mentor method and even coming up in my professional career before I created the company. So I'm sure you've seen that too. And that's why I think vulnerability is something that I encourage my mentees, people I'm advising, um, and my peers to start building that muscle memory for, because that's really when we're going to start seeing changes of businesses that are doing well, but are also human beings and treating their teams properly and going ethically into the world while still generating high levels of revenue. Trying to process all of that. Um, just because when I, when I think about all that you have uh, accomplished relative to, uh, and let me take it, let me take it back. So part of, part of what I have or how I have grown through this podcast is there's been like this evolution of trying not to focus my questions um, or, or position them from a, from a deficit mindset, right? You know, tell me about yeah. what you overcome. Tell me about how hard it is to be a black woman <laughs> raising VC, <laughs> right? Because right. I, I feel like in doing so, the the narrative is always that you're having to fight and and there's nothing wrong with fighting and winning or or even fighting and losing and learning but it i don't think that that's the narrative for for everybody else and hmm. i mean it is true i fight on a daily basis right like we have i mean we have to the elephant in the room, right? The elephant wearing a systemic oppression t-shirt, like it is what it is, right? And we're fighting against it and things are changing very slowly, but they are changing. But I get what you're saying in terms of not wanting that to be the focal point of your podcast. And that's why I was excited to participate. Yeah, I mean, you know, so so I, I saw, so for example, I mean, we're doing, we are featuring Black women in STEM for for Black History Month, which is wonderful. Um, but but we also feature Black Black and Latina women for this podcast. So you know, mm -hmm. I think we're okay. But but, <laughs> <laughs> but the you know the number of solicitations I got because you know they were looking for a Black founder or they were looking for a Black professional that. I'm sure you've received yourself. It's, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that because it's Black History Month. But as long as you don't forget me those other 11 months, right? Right. That is a very valid point. And we're aligned on that thinking. Yeah. Well, so, so can you talk to me about fundraising? That, that is, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's fun for me in the, in the way that negotiation is fun for me. Talking about and looking at fundraising is is fun for me. It's And that's not to say it's not hard uh, and challenging, but talk to me about your talk to me about the success. <laughs> talk to me about the success of fundraising and what it's been like for for you from 
start to finish of Mentor Method? Because Mentor Method is, is it four years old now? Uh, we launched in 2017 with our enterprise model. The fundraising process, when we first started the Mentor Method, I first have to call out the level of privilege that I had in that I was working full-time as a manager for one of the big four management consulting firms. So their position was fully remote as well. And it gave me an opportunity to be fantastic at my job as well as start developing my business. I had a lot of emotional and mental space to be able to do that, as well as the funds to continue bootstrapping the business and having dual citizenship, if you will, in that I was working full time as well as growing the business. So I do want to call that out um, because I know that there are some without a comfortable job that are still trying to determine if they go full time or not. So I went the route of staying with my previous employer for three and a half years um, before leaving in 2018 to pursue the mentor method full time because I wanted to ensure that I had enough runway personally to cover personal expenses because the last thing I wanted to do was make decisions out of desperation versus strategically. Because of that, I was able to bootstrap as we were doing R&D and sort of getting the model sorted and learning more about the enterprise SaaS space. At the same time, the market was just in a different spot. I remember having to have slides in my pitch deck early on about what is diversity, what is inclusion, what is mentorship, why does it matter? The VC space was just a very different beast at that time. The key, you know, focal areas just didn't align with where we were at that point. So instead of closing the business, we just focused on sales and reinvesting in the business as we began generating revenue. We've actually only taken in $150,000 of funding thus far. We're currently raising around until that's closed. I'll keep those details quiet. But um, prior to this round that that's taking place, um, we only raised 150000 Otherwise, it's been completely bootstrapped because I wanted to ensure that when the market did align the way it is right now, I would have more equity to play with so that we can talk to these investors and key players and have more room for conversation and negotiation without diluting my ownership. The reason that I chose to go that route as well, when I first started the Mentor Method, I remember going to a panel that was run by Xena Island and Black female founders out in Washington, D.C. There was a woman named Dr. Charlene Brown who had a company called Reciprocare at the time. And she talked about how she got over six figures worth of non-equity funding through alternative sources because despite having traction and revenue, it was still hard for her to raise. And hearing the strategy behind it and seeing that there were so many more options than just falling into the sexiness of venture capital went a very long way for me and really inspired me to follow in her footsteps and find ways to do that until we were in a spot and the market and the VC world was in a spot to really adapt and understand the power of the mentor method. And that's one of the best, honestly, the best decision I've made for the business to date. Yet another thing that's not discussed. 
the power of of holding on to your equity as as sexy as as VC um, is talked about. I'd love to hear you talk about it. It's empowering. You know, it's a great position to be in. For us, it's more about growth capital at this point, and that's a wonderful position to be in. We have the runway to continue moving forward, but this raise will empower us to move forward even faster. And that's a very different scenario than, say, raising if the doors are closing or not being able to get your product to market without additional funds. So again, checking my privilege, very grateful to be in the position that we're in. Can you, can you tell me, I mean, because what you're doing is, is fantastic and it's something that obviously you're, obviously there are employee resource groups out there that try to do this in, in, in with varied success and in varied sort of frameworks. Um, but this is, you are, you have, you are providing a service. I mean, you are a SaaS product for your clients and you are able to really allow them to, to formalize this and, and get more efficient at this work. What would you say is the most gratifying part of the mentor method for you? You started touching on it. There's a lot of power behind employee resource groups and the investment that corporations are making towards ensuring that their underrepresented professionals have a safe space to be themselves, network, and discuss the highs and lows of being at that place of employment in a space that fosters that authentic, that authentic connection. So for us, being able to support those employee resource groups through the Mentor Methods Inclusive Matching System is very powerful. Being able to see that companies are saving money on retention and putting more money back into their retention strategy budgets because we're able to help them keep the best talent and retain the best talent. That's incredible. You know, we've seen people get promoted four times faster. We've seen people be able to retain larger groups of talent. Um, We've seen people create businesses, which is fantastic. You know, we've seen military spouses that are new to the city get acclimated, make friends all through the connections from the mentor method. So it's really rewarding to see that even with a scalable tech product, because we're not in the office with our customers. I would love to, but that's not sustainable. So even with this scalable tech solution, we're still able to change lives and being able to see that the lines of code and the algorithm that I wrote, you know, through my own pain points of poor virtual connections or poor mentorship are now helping other people. You, I will gladly keep doing this for the next 10 years if we're continuing to deliver that impact. You can't replicate that feeling. So you you hit on something right there that I'm curious about, and I, I get asked this question all the time with the work that we do at Code to College. And you know what we do in our organization, we source volunteers to teach students how to code, develop professional skills, place them into paid summer internships, and 
they say, well, what do you want to do? You know, five, some, some will say, what do you want to do five, 10 years from now? Or where do you see this five, 10 years from now? Other people say, what's your, what's your end goal? So what is your end goal for the mentor method? That's a great question. I will say we are exploring a few paths of what that end goal will look like. And I'm very excited <laughs> for everybody to stay tuned and join our journey as we continue building the best possible business we can. That's really the focal point, right? Like the end goal can't happen if the business isn't in alignment and in the right position for those opportunities. So right now our focus is really delivering value to our customers and expanding our customer base. But when lightning strikes, we'll be ready for it. And we're very excited about that. Oh man, you're going to give me the CNBC answer, huh? I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, wow, I sound like a presidential debate. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, I, the thing, okay. The thing is, and you understand this, as a business person as well, things can change, right? Like this time last year, I remember coming back from speaking on a panel in a 300 plus person room event. Like that is not happening anymore, right? Like the world has changed so significantly in a year that we never, and we never anticipated it changing our lives forever the way that 2020 has. So for me, it would feel slightly obtuse to say, based on what's happening in this moment, we are going full steam ahead for IPO, exit, whatever it is, considering that the markets are changing in our favor, which is fantastic. Um, there's just so much that can change in the business world that... I just want to be open to receiving the abundance and ensure that we're adapting and that we're keeping an open mind towards adaptation versus, um, and I'm sure you've seen this, like becoming that bullish founder that will not do anything besides chase after this one goal, even if it's not going to be realized. Is that a better response, less political? I think it was, uh, I think both responses were, were wonderful and I appreciate both of them. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, we we don't know what tomorrow will hold. So, you know, if I were going to say, uh, so typically I, I'm asked when I'm asked that question. I think I think if I am still doing this same thing. 15 years from now and the organization is just huge and that's it, then I, I messed up, right? The problem that we're trying to solve isn't unsolvable. And I think that, I mean, I think because because we're we're operating in a nonprofit space and and that this is um, there's there's this social ill that I am trying to fix that I do think is fixable. My goal is to to put myself out of business. I would say within the next. I love that. You know. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm of course. I mean, outside of the direction of the business, 
Absolutely. I mean, if we're doing our job right, we will see a greater level of representation across the board, whether that is orientation, um, gender identity, race, etc. We'll see more representation of leadership at some of the top companies in the world. We'll see a greater number of Black women CEOs running companies. Um, we'll see more, we'll just see ourselves reflected in leadership and we'll see leadership reflecting the world around us because leaders do not fit just one archetype as we know. Yet, if you look at say, you know, the top 50 companies in the world and what their CEOs or their leadership looks like, it would tell you a very different story. So for me, the job is done when we're able to see those changes reflected, not just at the very top, but that mid-level range too. Oftentimes that's the key drop-off point for underrepresented professionals, whether that's changing industries, building a business, starting a family, whatever it is, there tends to be a drop-off in representation at that mid-level manager point. So if we're able to help connect junior level professionals to mentors so that they can break that barrier of mid-level manager friction and continue moving up the ranks, then we've done our job. That's fantastic. Well, it has been an extreme pleasure speaking with you. I, I'm not surprised. I was expecting that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to even more conversations, whether on or off the podcast. And I would greatly, I look forward to having more conversations on the podcast and also offline. I love what you're doing. Fantastic mission. As a woman in STEM myself, it's so important. So I'm really looking forward to finding ways to support such an incredible mission. Well, thank you so much, Janice. It, it has been, as I said, it's been a pleasure. I don't, I don't mind saying it several times, um, but thank you, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And uh, for all of our listeners, uh, please check back. We will have another episode of Technically 200 dropping soon enough. Janice Omadeki, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Technically 200. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com. Until next time.